1: Now available from K.B. Goddard, the author of The Lift episode, The Lost Library, and the Wicked Library episodes, The Darkness Within and Shadows, comes her debut novella, The Girl with the Roses. At the haunted auctions of Thornhill and Swift, where artefacts of the ghostly and the macabre are bought and sold, we learn of the statue entitled The Girl with the Roses. Charlotte Salt has always dreamt of marrying for love, But when she receives a proposal, she realizes that romance isn't always the deciding factor in the Victorian marriage market. Married to the eligible but secretive George Avery, she finds herself cut off from her family and friends when her husband takes her to live in his isolated Derbyshire home. Trapped in a loveless marriage, she finds her thoughts turning towards her brother's newly returned friend, the handsome Charles Jameson. In failing health, and increasingly troubled by strange sights and sounds, she cannot help recalling Jameson's mysterious warning, be on your guard. What danger did he foresee? As dark forces surround her, she contemplates the fate of her predecessor. What happened to the first Mrs. Avery? In a summer of storms, can anyone save her from the shadows?
0: So today my guest is KB Goddard, and we recently had you on the Wicked Library. We had you back again for Reflections on a Malady. And uh, prior to that, we had you for 13 this year, and we got a lot of stuff going on. You're going to be in a, a lift episode, and we have our live performance of the Wicked Library that you are contributing a story for.
3: Yes, you've kept me busy this
0: year. <laughs> yeah, so Reflections on a Malady, that's actually um, a piece that was on Shadows at the Door, right?
3: It is. It was actually my first Victorian ghost story. Is that right? It is. It's the first one that I ever sent out into the world. And I thought, right, my life's gone down the pan. Everything's going really badly at the moment. I thought, I am going to start trying to put my writing out there. I'm going to try and make something good. (laughs) So I sent off Reflections on a Malady" to Mark at Shadows at the Door. And he liked it, and it all went from there, really. So...
0: That's fantastic. I, I had no idea that was your that was your first foray into to writing that style.
3: Yeah, it, it's it's an old favorite, and I I kind of wanted to see it or hear it, should I say, yeah. <laughs> Donnas Nord version
0: so yeah it's always fun uh, to transform the stories uh from you know the, from their written form into into an audio form whether we're doing it as kind of a reading with one storyteller or whether we're doing it as a kind of a radio play with multiple characters and and that sort of thing it's it's always a a fun thing to to take it it takes on a different life i think yeah,
3: it's that moment of waiting to see what your character is going to sound like to somebody else because obviously the only time you ever heard them is so to speak in your Head. Yeah. So yeah, it seems how somebody else is interpreting this character. Yeah. It's, it's always nerve wracking, but yeah. exciting at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah, to kind of see how it's going to come out and that sort of thing. So, but yeah, I, I always uh I always say you know I appreciate authors trusting us with their work to take it and transform it into the the audio format and uh, everybody works really hard to make sure that that comes off from you know Nico who does the music to of course this time we had Graham Rowett who did the. The reading for us and played the characters and he had so much fun working on 13 for you and you were so happy with his performance i figured well if we're going to do another one we should we should see if graham can do it and, and luckily he was available
3: yes he's uh he's definitely nailed the victorian gentleman's voice
0: so since this is your first story what made this one you definitely wanted to tell
3: the original draft of reflections on a malady i i didn't have any choice but to finish because it was actually a university assignment
0: ah okay
3: uh, i was I was doing a creative writing course with the open University over here, and I had this the end of course assignment coming up which it sort of takes the place of the exam and i was like i need I need an idea i need I need something that's going to be a bit something that i'm not going to lose interest in before the end because it's going to be the big end of term project, and I need something that's really appealed to me and I'd always sort of read kind of like Conan Doyle and stuff like that and I thought, I wonder if I can get away with writing a ghost story, you know, like the old fashioned type that I actually like because a, a, a lot of modern horror is kind of a bit more towards body shock and, you know, blood and guts and gore, which never really got me. And I thought, I wonder if I can get away with writing like an old fashioned ghost story and actually doing it and trying to pull it off to make it sound like it's actually written at the time, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, that it pick it up and read it and go ah, This this could actually be Victorian. Now, whether or not that actually worked, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I would. I (laughs) I would say it was effective. I mean, that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about your stories is it feels like it's something that you've found from that era that you haven't read before.
3: Yeah, exactly. I wanted that kind of um, lost story feel. You know, that you you could believe it was a a lost one.
0: I'm curious then, since it was a university assignment, what did uh, what did your teacher think of it?
3: I remember it was the, <laughs> we had to submit a first, a first sample of it,
0: mm-hmm.
3: the first section for, for the assignment before the final one, and that was the highest mark I ever got, and I was like, whee!
0: That's fantastic. I'm a huge fan of that style and that genre. I mean, it's something that I, I kind of grew up with, reading those kind of stories and seeing adaptations on, uh, on TV of the old Sherlock Holmes and, and that sort of thing, so it's always something that's appealed to me
3: i think there's just something about the language of that of that era i um, i i it's a a shame i didn't get more marks for the final piece but
0: (laughs) well it's uh it's it's something that's gotten you you started in the in the genre so that's that's great uh is, is that mostly what you write these days then
3: uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, Reflections got rewritten a little bit, um, just, when it, you know, because so, in the benefit of hindsight, you get to see the sort of mistakes you make, so yeah. that got rewritten, and then I thought, oh, that was quite good fun, actually, I think I'll try another one. <laughs> and it just sort of, it's like, maybe I should try to write something else now, but I just seem to be, um, yeah, I'm in a Victorian groove at the moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, in fact, I think I've only read one story by you that wasn't written in that style, and it was one that you wrote for The Lift, which is uh, Don't Feed the Trolls.
3: That, that was fun in a whole different way.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was a, a really fun story, and I know that a lot of people identified with it. So um, it's, you know, I, 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 you had asked me yesterday, because when I got the script for uh, the upcoming performance that we're going to be doing in Atlanta, you had said, well are you sure you want to pay me for it you haven't read it yet i'm like i know it's going to be fine and i, I was already about a third of the way through it at that point too and i'm like oh this is perfect
3: That's always a relief because there's always that moment that i don't think i'll ever get over it's like when you send something out you're always like oh my god i hate it. it's awful i'm never gonna write again <laughs> i'm an idiot
0: <laughs> yeah it, it's tough it is because you're so close to it you know it's uh you know what you're trying to say and you know what you want it to sound like and I think sometimes that's the tough part is you know we wonder am I do I think it's good because I know what I'm trying to say or do I is do I think it's good because it's good and you know um, and and that's always a nerve-wracking part with anything you create
3: I always try to write that that would fit with something that I wouldn't that I would like to read
0: yeah that's the most important thing is please yourself first right
3: you can try and write to a particular market, which is great if you're enjoying what you're writing.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But yeah, I kinda I don't <laughs> I think I'd get really bored if I tried to write something that wasn't necessarily something that I would want to read myself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the good work always finds its audience. Sometimes it may take a little while for it to do that, but if if you it's true to you and who you are, and it's what you enjoy, and uh, it's true to your voice, then I think it's going to find its market. Whenever people try to write in a style that isn't them, like you said, or 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 something that isn't something that would please themselves, I think that's where it's it's difficult. I mean. You can play it something like say, oh, you know, it'd be fun to write this kind of thing. And I think that that works well because, you know, maybe you've never written a mystery before and you're like, oh, I want I'd like to write a mystery or I'd like to write this.
3: Yeah, there's other stuff that I would like to do, but haven't necessarily got the ideas and things for yet. Like, I'd love to write a cozy mystery someday.
0: They always feel like they would be the most difficult because there's so many moving pieces and you have to kind of obscure everything as it moves through but at the end it all needs to fit together and make sense and i have a lot of admiration for mystery writers you know that that can do all that with all those moving parts
3: you can get away from supernatural because if if things aren't adding up you can just go well the ghost did it supernatural weirdness it's not meant to make sense
0: that's right that's right
3: saying that, that doesn't stop me getting stuck quite frequently I'm always like but that doesn't make sense but if you did that then why would you do that, that doesn't make sense i mean that doesn't add up right um, that's probably why i write so little because <laughs> i'm just over analyze everything and i just like uh, will people question that or can i get away with it if i gloss over that will like no? yeah i am a very hectic <laughs>
0: Well, you know, that's something that's come up a lot uh, in, in recent interviews. We've kind of talked about you watch something like a movie or a TV show or you read a book and you you kind of start to suspect what's happening. And then whenever it's right, you're like, oh, take some of the joy out of it. Um, so I'm always impressed whenever something is written that I can't figure out the first go through. And, and again, I think that's just because we're constantly plotting ourselves and thinking about, well, how would I do this?
3: Yeah, especially when you study creative writing, because obviously the whole the whole thing they're telling you to analyse plots and plot points and understand. So I am always getting in trouble for like solving murder she wrote and stuff. <laughs> 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 There's a point going. Ah, oh, that umbrella's going to be a plot point in a minute or whatever. I'm always getting told off.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's,
3: it's a habit. It does. Mm, yes, it's very really hard to be a reader once you're a writer.
0: This is true. So. In this story, I'm curious because it was kind of the first piece that you you played with in this genre. Was there anything about the story that surprised you from when you started to when you finished?
3: I was kind of surprised that I actually did it, (laughs) but other than that, no, I I, it was one of the few times that I actually thought, Oh, I have an idea, and it kind of almost wrote itself in the the original version that I the diamond almost wrote itself. On go, it's like, huh? So, sort of gave me a false sense of security, though. That it was always going to be that easy, and it <laughs> wasn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, you get a gift like that, where the story kind of, you you know what the ending is. You kind of know which direction it's going to go in. Uh, but other times, no, it's it's more of a struggle. Now, the character that's in this, am I am I correct that this is one of your recurring characters?
3: Yeah, I have used him more than once. Here. Algernon does pop up again a couple of times. She's in the new collection. Wife again, you know. She's the wife now. Yeah.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so tell me about the the new collection because that just came out recently, right?
3: Yeah. Just five stories this time, but there is an Aldenon Hunter one in there. So we, we've got we've got we've got a traditional ghost story in there. There's some there's like curses and cursed objects as well. Um thirteen is in there.
0: Yes. That was. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, that's a theme I, I think that you uh, you return to quite a bit—the cursed object theme, which uh, is is fascinating to me as well. What makes that such an appealing topic for you?
3: This is going to sound very strange now. <laughs> Everything I say is going to sound strange. Um, I saw a Darren Brown program once. Uh, I, you, you, I guess some of you guys over there know who Darren Brown is. Oh yeah. He did some program where he he was doing like a psychological on people were, he told them that, that this chair was haunted and there was a ghost in here so they behaved differently when they thought the ghost was haunted and he was told it was going to be for something called the Antiques Ghost Show or something and I just thought oh, oh cursed chair cursed objects, that's a good idea yeah I like I started, I started googling around and I came across there's loads of things like there's a cursed chair that people are supposed to sit in and they die. There's like the curse of Rudolph Valentino's ring. And there's all like, And I thought, huh, <laughs> I could see a series here.
0: So, so one of the other questions I thought I'd ask you, and this is a common question that I ask a lot of authors because we have a lot of folks that listen to the show that are writers themselves or are aspiring writers. And I think it's always interesting to to kind of get some feedback from those who have already written and, and gone through the process and kind of know their routine. Um, do you have any routines or favorite rituals that you do to kind of get you in the proper mindset when you're getting ready to write?
3: cup of tea or coffee. Because I write Victorian stuff. I like to try and get in that zone, so sometimes I like put on Sherlock Holmes audiobooks and things like that, and listen to a bit of M.R. James audio books, I, I like audio stories.
0: So, so when we're talking about Victorian fiction and, and writing in that style and I know that that's kind of uh, you know your mainstay it's a lot of what you do uh, are there any unique challenges that you find writing in that in that style as opposed to you know the modern style that we use today
3: um yeah well trying to create that, that voice without being without being too far towards the Victorian, because uh, although you want it to feel authentic, you don't want to um sort of alienate anybody, you know because not ev- not everyone's into Victorian fiction. I remember reading this um <laughs> this piece in in my in my last creative writing course that said it was talking about the process of writing it in the immersive style um, like in a sense in the way I do. And saying that most readers today don't want to read uh, 19th century prose, and I was like, right, well, I'm done here then. Um. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> like, uh, well, I don't think we have anything left to discuss here, right? Uh, so yeah, try, <laughs> I wanted to feel authentic, but I, I kind of don't want to make it so overly verbose that it's um, that the modern reader will just go, what? I, it has sometimes been commented that mm, maybe slightly shorter sentences I was like, well, that's kind of part of the style though right. is that they do have, have like 12 different thoughts in a sentence <laughs> just, that's, probably why, that's probably why I get on with that because my, my brain kind of just goes off on a uh, tangent and does its own thing so I'm, I think like Victorian sentences so <laughs> that's just how I, that's kind of how the style works So trying to sort of not go too far towards that is you know Challenging, right,
0: right. So, who are some of your favorite Victorian authors?
3: Uh, Well, I think I've I've mentioned Conan Doyle before. Mm -hmm. Um, There is obviously his Sherlock Holmes stuff, but there's all that, which is, you know, what sort of inspires the the kind of Victorian style in me is that kind of that kind of writing. Um, But also he. He doesn't seem to be as well known for the fact that he did do some pretty good horror and ghost stories, you know. Um, yeah. So you're, you're
0: right. I mean, I think most people associate him with Sherlock Holmes immediately, but that's not all he wrote. He he actually wrote a lot of a lot of other stories.
3: Absolutely, and um, Lefanu actually, or Lefanu, however you want to pronounce it, J. S. Lefanyu, um a kind of read a few of his as well I'm not sure how I stumbled across him but I yeah he's sort of an earlier earlier ghost story writer than than M.R. James but in the same kind of vein I think. well maybe not not quite as um not as far towards the academic as <laughs> like I don't know, I think was a, an antiquarian or something getting himself
0: yeah, Amor James definitely is uh, has his own certain style to him.
3: Yeah, I mean, he. I know a lot of people say there's that kind of psychological element of whether whether his ghosts are really ghosts. Well, I say ghosts. Very few actual ghosts in Amor James. Whether his creatures are actually supernatural or whether it is uh, some sort of psychological issue. Right. Uh, but I, I, I always take them at face value as being supernatural. Well, maybe that's what, that's what I want to believe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I know a little bit more towards the 20th century because he was, you know, writing. But he kind of crossed that that period. But yeah, I, I still class him as the sort of the Victorian tradition um, in terms of ghost story writing.
0: So um, we talk about Victorian authors. What about modern authors? Are there any modern authors that you that you particularly enjoy, and that that may, and maybe even that follow the same formula, even if it's not the same style, but the, the same type of storytelling that, that you uh, that you enjoy? I
3: must admit, I've always struggled to find, in terms of ghost stories that sort of tick those boxes for me, because I, you go into a bookshop nowadays and most of the horror seems to be more towards the body horror, kind of, which is double never been my particular preference. Um, so I've, I've actually been putting a call out on Twitter recently because I've, I've been looking at my To Be Read pile and realizing there's actually very little horror in there. So I've put out a call on Twitter.
0: Yeah, I saw that tweet, and I thought it was kind of funny that somebody had recommended to you um, the, the anthology for The Lift.
3: Yeah, that, that was thrilling. That was one. I was like, oh, thank you very much. i have in that.
0: <laughs> so it's it's kind of a strange synchronicity whenever that kind of thing happens, but it's always fun.
3: So yeah, yeah I, I, I have read some modern ghost stories, but I tend to find what happens is, I don't know whether I can blame it on the authors being modern authors, or whether it's just a case of the novel length format, which is what you tend to get now. The short is sort of not as common um, as it was in the 19th century, so there's not as many short ghost stories out in bookshops, perhaps unless they're really, really well established authors. Um, so I think it's a novel format, but quite often you'll get to the end, and the end will be a bit disappointing, or the stories kind of run out of steam part way because I think it's quite difficult to maintain a ghost story over that sort of extended period. Um, I, th- I think they do tend to you get that you get that sort of short shot hit with uh, with a short story for a go in the ghosty style. Um, Than you do with a novel. So yeah, I've read like Barbara Erskine novel. She has some really interesting concepts, so like reincarnation and historical hauntings and things. But sometimes the ending doesn't quite, you know. Um, Susan Hill's another another good one, obviously. Uh, but again, occasionally the end doesn't quite tick the boxes for me. That's probably being really controversial there by saying that.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think it's. I don't think I, I. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I mean, you, you get through the story and the story is great and it's going somewhere and you're excited about it and you're really into it, and then you get to the end and you're like, no, that's not where this was supposed to go.
3: The um, woman in black was brilliant and we studied that um, when I was at, at school for GCSE. Actually, it was on the GCSE curriculum. I don't know if it still is. Um, what was the other one I read? I said oh the the man in the I think it's called The Man in the Painting. Um that, that was another good one by Susan Hill. I did enjoy that one. Um but yeah, the Mist in the ones like The Mist in the Mirror, you kinda got to the end of like oh, a bit disappointing. Um but then she wrote other ones like Printer Devil's Court, which was really good and I enjoyed it. And then there was like this epilogue is like, oh that's kinda ruined it. <laughs> so, but, so, I, I'm so much trouble for saying that. But yeah I think it just shows though even a skilled writer like Susan Hill sometimes it doesn't always come off with a with a longer book. Um, so I find that actually quite a lot of my reading isn't necessarily in the horror genre. and I've noticed I, I tend to go for books with some kind of a mystery element. Uh, so whether it's like the British Library Crime Classics that we have over here, I don't know whether they're whether they're read much. Whether they're released in America, but so um, yeah, like there's Golden Age, I'm one, or um, like I went through a stage of reading con- like conspiracy novels when the Da Vinci Code came out, you know, everyone was reading, and the Shakespeare Curse, which I think had names in America. But they were, um, yeah, I went, I kind of, I, I go for things with a with an element of mystery, which is why I kind of like supernatural fiction. Yeah, and 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 um, sort of cozy mysteries, that kind of thing, because there's there's all that. I think I'm I'm drawn towards the mystery rather than a particular genre, if that makes sense.
0: That's I think one of the fun things about those types of stories is you're drawn in as the reader, and obviously you you're with. You're in that camp that okay, this is real and this is what is happening because you're identifying with the characters. So it's almost like whenever everybody else is like, no, this is this isn't really happening. I think in real life, I would probably be more on that camp than I would be of believing the reader, or, or believing the main character, but whenever I'm in the story, it's completely the opposite.
3: And I think sometimes you see reviews, and people are saying things like, that is just so that is just so ridiculous, that's just mad, that would never happen. But that's half the fun. It's yes. like, that's just disbelief. You just gotta, just go with it. Yeah. And I think characters are behaving true to themselves, within the world of the story, not necessarily in a way that you'd expect them to behave in our world. Right. Then I think if they start behaving in a way like that, 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 that doesn't know, that doesn't add it, no. I, I think that that's what pulls me out rather than the idea of a sort of ridiculous chase across. <laughs> the thing that I'm currently reading a British Library crime classic the zed murders and even i'm like no no too far even for me this is no <laughs> no idiot would be <laughs> so I think it i think it very much depends on on the style of the the writer so yeah I, I kind of it's it's hard to say that there's a particular modern writer that i read in terms of one particular genre you know i am kind of i'm <laughs> I suppose you could sense you could say I'm I'm kind of disloyal. I tend to be drawn towards a story rather than an author, and sometimes I'll read more than one by the same author if they, you know, hooked me. But I do tend to go for the I'm I'm a I'm a big blurb reader. I like going to a bookshop and read every blurb. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's
0: not a bad so way to shop.
3: I, sometimes you'll you'll read something and you think oh that's really cool, and then you go read another one by them and go oh that's disappointing. So yeah, I, I don't think always. Although I shouldn't say that because I want people to buy my books, so I should say definitely. If you've read one of my books, buy another one. But I <laughs>
0: yeah, that's the <laughs> exception, right?
3: <Ooh. laughs> yeah, unless it's my book. Yeah, no, no, no. There are writers I do, I do tend to reread things like I, I still want, I still want the next episode in 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 the Shakespeare ones, the uh, the this, the, the J. L. Carroll ones. I st- I still want them to do a third one, it's like wrap up the story, wrap up the story. So there, so there are some authors
0: that you know hook you in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's it's about consistency and brand too. I mean, if I if I know that an author is going to write a particular, st- I mean, and that's why certain authors become very popular. It's, um, I think, as artists, it's it's important for us to explore new things and and do things in different ways. But I think that we all kind of have our our home, you know, that we go back to, which is what we feel comfortable with, and know i know if i pick up a, a kb goddard story i'm going to get a certain type of thing um and and i think you've been very good at, at being consistent that way so if someone does enjoy what we've done on the shows that you've written they're going to find more of the same if they pick up uh, your books not that it's redundant obviously but more of that same style you're, you're going to get that reward of
1: getting
0: what, what, you, getting what you're looking for getting what, what you 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 think you're going to be paying for
3: yeah, I definitely does what it does with me. <laughs> but I think even, even if you go for ones like uh, like I did for the lift with the, the lost library, although it's not it's not Victorian, it is set a little bit later. I, I I think it's still my style. I think you'd still recognise it. I hope. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but,
0: absolutely. It's one of my favorite stories. I mean it it's it's uh And I think we've had this discussion before. It actually kind of tied into ideas and concepts that I already had for the show. And, you know, the fact that you came up with a very similar idea. I'm like, well, this is the direction we're going for for this season. So it totally tied in with everything. And, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's more. What did we say? It was probably like in the 1920s, 1930s. So what is that? Is that Edwardian? Or I think that's after they started naming the eras, isn't it?
3: Yeah, t- and I suppose technically it was after after Edward, we were into George, but I think it's still sort of loosely described as Edwardian.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it, <laughs> it definitely had that very, you know, Agatha Christie era feel to it. So, I mean, I think it worked extremely well. And, you know, one of the, the things that I always enjoy about your stories is that you, you do deal with a lot of situations where you have very strong female characters that are kind of bucking the system, um while still playing in that arena and being true to their time you know you have women that basically stand up and say okay well this is the way that it normally is but this is not the way it's going to be for me and I think that's a very important message for modern women and for anyone to read
3: actually yeah I mean you were asking me about challenges and that is one of the things because you're always a bit conscious when you're writing historical stuff because it it is difficult to sort of balance that because although you want it to be true to the era you don't want to sort of be accused of making the women too weak and it wouldn't be realistic to make them as a sort of dominant, I suppose you could say, as the the male characters, but like in reflecting on the malady although it's written from the point of view of Algernon Hunter it, it, the woman is, has the actual the psychic power she's the one with the you know the main and she's the one that drives it so it's like trying to find ways to make the women strong without being you know too, too modern because then it, cause then that jars because it's like well that just wouldn't happen Yeah. although hopefully the body and soul getting sort of half severed wouldn't happen either so <laughs> Right. It's we are prepared to suspend our disbelief in certain areas, but when it comes to like feminism, then that would be like, oh, no, no, that's not realistic.
0: You're right. I mean, it's a very delicate balance because I mean, you look at um, even like uh, what was the series uh, Penny Dreadful, where you had some, you know, a very strong female character in that as well, but she had to be believable in her time, and that, that's always the, the 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 challenge when you're you're dealing with you know things like. Uh, things, you know, like progression, you know, uh, whether it be um, race or whether it be gender or whether it be, you know, any of these equality issues that we deal with, I think it's an ongoing issue and and I think that that's one of the important things in our storytelling is that we kind of shine a light on those things and, and to look back at an era like the Victorian era, I mean, it, in modern sensibilities you look back at that and go, well, gee, that's silly. Um, you know that women were treated that way or or that this was the norm at the time but I think it's important we don't lose sight of the fact that that's the way things were because otherwise it's very easy for us to regress there we find ourselves fighting a lot of issues today that we were fighting in the 70s and there's been this big resurgence of that and I think stories are, are, are where we we get to explore that and kind of shine a light on all that darkness and, and bring it forward so you know I mean aside from the fun of a, of a great ghost story or a great horror story it, there's fertile ground there for us to explore societal issues that are very important for people to kind of take a look at and, and, and framing it in a story like that you know Twilight Zone was always really good at that um, I mean M.R. James was good at that in his stuff if you look deep into the subtext of things uh, so yeah I think you do a great job with that
3: I, think, I mean, it is one of those things that I mean, there are certain elements that I don't feel <laughs> don't feel quite qualified or there yet to kind of touch on, because <laughs> there's so many issues. But I feel like with the with the whole gender equality thing, at least I <laughs> I've got i got something there I can I can touch on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah. (laughs) it's definitely something where you know you you definitely have to have that that insight uh into the situation i mean not that men can't write strong female characters and touch on the the same topics as well but it it definitely helps to have that unique personal experience and perspective with it
3: i mean it's one of those things that i've been quite lucky i haven't experienced an awful lot of sexism in my time (laughs) um but it is one of those things like occasionally getting mansplained that yeah. <laughs> does happen um, but so yeah, I try like with with Algernon in the story, I I kind of although he is a Victorian male, I kind of didn't want him to be I didn't want to write a character that was just like a complete chauvinist, you know, right. I, I want, uh, cause you want him to be sympathetic, you want him to be likeable, you want him to have a kind of partnership with Louisa, you don't you don't, you don't, don't want that distance between them, mm-hmm. which is where her, her uncle came in, because he was a little bit more of the traditional bluff, old-fashioned type of women, <laughs> hysterical. <laughs> so yeah, he, he's a bit more of the traditional one, but Algernon's sort of there to go, you, you're being stupid, you know.
0: Yeah, and that's very clever from a storytelling perspective because you, you can contrast the two against each other. You have someone who, who ha- is a little more enlightened for his time and, and leans more towards what we would probably consider modern sensibilities, and you can compare and contrast him to someone who's just really steeped in, I don't want to say brainwashed, but really steeped in, in, in the values and perceptions of their time i think it just shows your character as being more enlightened and more compassionate
3: well i'm I'm aiming for a compassionate sort of character but then of course i've got i've got her aunt in it as well who although she's sort of subject to this victorian male she's still like oh shut up dear (laughs) go get out of the way you know so i i try give the women a bit of a you know i try not to make them (laughs) pushovers.
0: absolutely Well, what I'm gonna do is we'll take a little break and when we come back, we will talk a little bit about your recent episode for The Lift, The Spirit of the House.
1: How many choices do you make in a day? In a year? In a lifetime?
0: How many really matter in the end? Do you agonize
3: over the small ones and avoid the important ones? Here on my Lift, in this place where all things are possible your choice matters your choices require sacrifice will you make the right one choose to listen to the lift in itunes tune in stitcher and now iheartradio
0: Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about you, you've been a consistent presence on the lift and uh, you get to play in Victoria's world. And, and I think you do rather well with that. Uh, I know she enjoys having you involved. So the spirit of the house, I remember we, we talked about this a while ago, and I think that and, and by the way, if anybody is listening to the lift and has not listened to this episode yet, spoilers in three, two, one. So when we first talked about this, I think that the first question that you asked me was, can Victoria interact with or help a ghost? And I thought that was a yeah. g- great question because it's, it's, again, kind of like um, Lost Library. It's an idea that actually had occurred to me at one point, too. Like, would she be able to go in and help a trapped soul or, or someone who's tied to a? And I never really explored it. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't because there's no one better mm-hmm. to explore that concept than you.
3: Spooky, I keep plucking your thoughts out of your head.
0: <laughs> if you want to get supernatural about it, it's Victoria whispering in both of our ears. Uh, she's
3: whispering. That's right. You can hear a music box.
0: See, you know, and it's funny because a lot of the writers for the show have told me stuff like that before. Like they They feel very clearly that they can hear her voice or whenever they write her they'll start writing a piece of dialogue and it's very clear that that's not right and it's almost like she's tapping them on the shoulder saying, you know, I would not say that that way.
3: <laughs> that might freak me out if my characters start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> my characters, that would be somebody else's character.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so tell me what the nexus of the idea was because I'm I'm really interested in kind of like how you come up with isn't everybody right how do you get your ideas but i want to be i don't want to be cliche about it i'm more curious like when we started talking about it and i guess you get the inkling of an idea of of having her interacting with a spirit um kind of how that process worked for you and and how the story kind of came to life
3: well it's funny i suppose you could say victoria was whispering again i'm not entirely sure how it happened (laughs) I know you asked me about writing another story, and I thought, well, I wonder if I could combine ghost stories and The Lift and whether Victoria could interact with a ghost, you know, how far her her powers would extend, which is why I asked that question because like, "Hmm, can, can I do this? Because obviously, you're working within somebody else's concept, you're like, I'll get carried away. But we'll probably be able to guess that I have. Watched a few of those ghost hunting shows. I shan't name the ones I have watched. Um, (laughs) In in the story, Um, but I yeah, I, I found myself wondering what would what what would the ghosts actually be thinking? You know you always see these ghost hunting shows and they're going around and they're talking to them and they're using the tech and going oh it's it's spiking over here we've got something oh there's a cold spot and and I always wonder if ghosts are real what are they thinking when people are coming in with all this noisy stuff and shouting at them and asking them to chuck tableware at them and you know <laughs> you've managed to cross the great divide between life and death and you want me to throw a spoon you know at the That's just it and you look at it from the ghost point of view, we probably look really quite silly. And I, I, I kind of started wondering what it would be like from the ghost point of view to watch all this going on, and then Victoria sort of landing in the middle of it, going, uh, "Right, come on with me. Yeah. <laughs> Ignore this. this. I've got a bigger string for you."
0: Yeah, let's actually fix. Let's fix the problem here. We're not gonna play with spoons today. I, I, I love that.
3: Yeah, it's like. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the biggest things that's been around since, since well since the whole spiritualist movement in the Victorian era. Every everyone's there trying to cross this great divide, and and, and then people come along and ask them to chuck spoons at them or poke them or something, you know. And it, it also when you look at it from like if it was someone doing that to you, you know, if someone came to you in the street and asked you to do that, you'd be like. I, I, have you lost it yeah was <laughs> you know, a little bit ridiculous so uh, <laughs> so yeah I decided to have a little bit of fun with it from the ghost point of
0: view yeah it was great it's great uh, and, and hopefully hopefully like you said everybody's listened to it first uh before before we continue on because um one of the coolest things I think is that you know we have kind of um the spirit uh, who is set kind of back in is she Victorian? I mean, she mentions a lantern, so I'm thinking we're probably talking turn of the century Victorian era, late Victorian era at least. And then we get later on, you know, someone down her family line who is is involved in the situation. So.
3: I, I thought I had in mind to make her a kind of Victorian ghost, but I didn't really try and overdo the Victorianness in her. Yeah. In her sort process because because my thinking was that she'd been in the house through all of this time she was bound to have been sort of influenced by the things she'd seen and heard over that time that just because she was a ghost didn't necessarily mean that she was because she was a conscious ghost and not just a residual energy that she would have been you know party to the changing of the world and everything she would have she would have had some sort of influence there so i didn't want her to i didn't want to stick her too deeply embedded in the victorian eras yeah
0: and one of the things that I had said to Cindy, who um, does all the story editing for the show, um, I really enjoyed the way that you you start off with her in the garden, kind of watching what's going on, and, and these folks are coming in. And it's it's actually, I don't know if whether it was intentional or if it was just kind of coincidental, but I'm thinking it's probably intentional. Uh, when you start out, I kind of almost got the impression maybe we're talking about Victoria, and the Victoria is watching these people come in. And then you realize later on, not too far on, but you realize very shortly that this is not actually Victoria. This is the other spirit that's in the house, and we're still waiting for Victoria to make her appearance.
3: That, that, that wasn't intentional. That wasn't intentional.
0: Well, then it was subconsciously um, clever.
3: <laughs> I should have. I should have just gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that. <laughs> I, I. I was just thinking it through, uh, but no, no. Actually, I never. I never
0: really thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, and in, in, in that's the cool thing for me about written format and audio drama, because if this was live action or animation or something like that, you would very clearly be able to tell that it's in... I mean, I guess you could do shadows and lighting in a certain way, so you can't really see who it is that's sitting there. But Agnes being much older, obviously, you know, you'd be able to kind of tell in a visual format that it's not the same character, but those little things you can't pick up on whenever it's an audio or written format, and I always enjoy that. I think it's it's a lot of fun. You know, that kind of, oh, you fooled me for a second type of thing.
3: I wanted it to be close to her point of view, obviously, but I, I sort of wanted to come in from outside and gradually sort of get inside her head. Yes. So I got A little bit in the to sort of emphasize the fact that she is distanced from what is happening because she isn't really there in, in, in the physical sense
0: so before we uh, before we wrap everything up um, where can folks find more of your work where's the best place to interact if people have you know feedback or want to talk about your stories or your characters
3: um, well uh, the best place to find me these days is usually on twitter um, that's sort of my most interactive place at the moment I do have a facebook page as well um, but yeah, mo- mostly uh, mostly Twitter. I'm on Goodreads as well. Um, you can also find my books on Amazon and Kobo. Um, Amazon also has obviously the anthology of The Lift and Shadows at the Door that I've got stories from me in there as well. I- I've got a few st- short story collections out, and there's a novella as well, which is kind of a Victorian Gothic. So.
0: Yeah, so, so what are the what are the titles of uh, of the books that folks should be looking for on Amazon?
3: First of the books were A Spirited Evening and Other Stories, and The Haunted Chamber and Other Stories, which are out as eBooks. But if you prefer paperbacks, those two are combined into Twelve Ghostly Tales, which is which is the paperback version. Um, the new one that's just come out is Tales of the Macabre and the Supernatural. Oh, okay. The girl with the roses is the novella as well, which is which is also out as an ebook.
0: Very nice. Well, you know, people don't know. People will know this now at the end because I'm going to tell them. But this is actually what our our third attempt at doing this because we uh, we had we had a storm the last time. I think we we ended up um, having to call back and get in. And uh, today, uh, which is in the in the middle of the day we're, we're we're getting together again to kind of recapture the magic as it were uh, so i really appreciate you taking all the time to get this put together
3: oh, no problem I Just have, some, have uh, some gremlins in the works that's right.
0: right well it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you it's always great to have you on the show obviously we we have uh upcoming the live performance in atlanta and uh you know many more many more stories i'm sure for both the Lyft and the Wicked Library uh, and uh, some other great collections that you'll have coming out in the future. I hope. (laughs) Well, thanks again so much. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much.